Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Heavenly Father, God of all that is good, we bless you for the means of grace that you have given us, Lord. Teach us to see in them your loving purposes and the joy and strength of our soul. You have prepared a feast for us, and though we are unworthy to sit down as guests, we wholly rest on the merits of Jesus and hide ourselves beneath his righteousness. When we hear his tender invitation and see his wondrous grace, we cannot hesitate but must come to you in love. By your spirit, Lord, enliven our faith this morning rightly to discern and spiritually to apprehend the Savior. While we gaze upon the emblems of our Savior's death, may we ponder why he died and hear him say, I gave my life to purchase yours, presented myself an offering to cleanse your sin, Shed my blood to blot out your guilt, open my side to make you clean, endured your curses to set you free, and bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. Oh, may we rightly grasp the breadth and length of this design, draw near, obey, and extend the hand, take the bread and receive the cup, eat and drink, and testify before all men that we do for ourselves gladly in faith in reverence and love, receive our Lord to be our life, our strength, our nourishment, our joy, and our delight. In the supper, we remember his eternal love, boundless grace, infinite compassion, agony, his cross, and the redemption bought for us. And we receive assurance of pardon, adoption, life, and glory. As the outward elements nourish our bodies this morning, so may your indwelling spirit invigorate our souls until that day when we hunger and thirst no more and sit with Jesus at his heavenly feast. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at one of the most pivotal moments in Jesus' ministry. We're going to be looking at the very night that Jesus instituted what we now call the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's table. Today I'm just going to mostly be calling it the Lord's Supper because I think that literally describes best what it is. And we're going to be looking at why Jesus did what he did on this specific night and what it means to us now. But before we get into all that, I want to begin this morning with a confession and a plea. Confession and a plea. And my confession this morning is this, especially as I I sat this week studying this text that we'll be looking at, studying Jesus on the night before he was betrayed, I became convicted that I have often in my life allowed the celebration of the Lord's Supper to just be a routine um, or a ritual. I've often just gone through the motions without even pausing to reflect. I've allowed the time set aside for self-examination and reflection to be a time to let my mind wander. I've treated the Lord's Supper as just another church thing to do, and I've often failed to view it in the correct way. Famous theologian A.W. Tozer once said, An honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. And friends, let me tell you that this is what I've experienced this week preparing for this morning. So I would encourage you, if you feel convicted in the same way as me, 
Would you join me in repenting and asking for forgiveness this morning? That's my confession. And my plea is this. Would you open your ears and hearts this morning to hear what God would say to you through me this morning from his word? Just because you are physically present in this room does not mean your hearts or ears are open. I ask you to open them this morning. Open your heart and your ears to hear God speaking in his word. Do not check out. Uh, The health of our Christian life and the health of this body of believers depends on correctly understanding what we celebrate when we take communion or the Lord's Supper together and why we celebrate it. So please, I would ask you to take a couple of seconds, uh, ask God to open your heart this morning, and then I'll pray and we'll continue in with our passage. Lord, may you grant this morning that we may engage in contemplating the mysteries of your heavenly wisdom with increasing devotion to your glory and our edification. Father, would you open our hearts this morning to understand the significance of what your son did during the last night before his death. We ask all this in the name that is above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, before we dive into the passage, let's try to get a grip on where and when we are here in the story in the life of Jesus. Now, if you've been paying attention, you know that we are now reading and hearing about Jesus' last week before his crucifixion. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, we have heard Jesus predict his death at the hands of the Jews, and we have seen his disciples respond in disbelief. This morning, we're going to see what Jesus did on the last night before his crucifixion. Now, the scene of our passage this morning is Jerusalem during Passover week. Now, Passover week is the most important week of the year for Jews. Passover week contains not only the celebration of the Passover, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as well as the Day of Atonement. Now, when there was still a temple in Jerusalem, like there was during Jesus' time, all Jews were commanded by God to do everything that was in their power to get to Jerusalem during this week. You can imagine what this must look like. Jews pouring in from all sides of Jerusalem as they come to celebrate their dear ritual. Some historians estimate that Jerusalem swelled into the millions as far as population goes during this week because of everyone coming in. The city is literally brimming with activity. There are no rooms at any of the inns. From writers at this time, we know that hundreds of thousands, millions of people are poured into the city. People everywhere. Animals everywhere. Everyone's talking about Passover and reflecting on the time when God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, and everyone is beginning to prepare for the feast that is to take place on this night. We know that this took place on a Thursday night, the date on the Jewish calendar being Nisan 14th. Now, if you'll remember, Jews, the way that they construed the days, the day started at sunset and ended at sunset the next day. So when we're talking about the 14th, really, in our minds, it would be from Thursday at sunset to Friday at sunset would be a day. Um, So it's a little bit backwards, at least from the way that we view it. This is the night before Good Friday, what some people call Maundy Thursday. This very night, Jesus will be betrayed and arrested, but not yet. Before all of this, he makes sure that he can eat one last Passover meal with his disciples. And don't forget this, that earlier in this week, Jesus had ridden in on a donkey to a large crowd of people, hailing him as the Messiah and shouting praises to God. And after that, he has openly and publicly confronted the Pharisees in the temple courts this week also, just a couple of days before this, making a big scene. 
I say this all to set the scene. The atmosphere in Jerusalem on this Thursday evening must have been electric. The crowds are wondering if Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. The Pharisees are seeking to kill him, and all around the city the Jews are celebrating God's rescue of his people. Jesus must be in hiding, and no one can find him. We're going to see how important this meal was to Jesus in the first part of our passage this morning. I want you to look for this as we read the passage. Look at all of the trouble that Jesus goes through to make sure they had a specific place to celebrate together, even though there are people trying to find him and murder him. Uh, with that, would you turn with me to Mark 14? Uh, we're going to be looking at 12 through 25 this morning. It says this, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat Passover? And he sent two of his disciples, Luke tells us it was Peter and John, and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, we see that Jesus and his disciples are somehow hiding out in Jerusalem. Remember, they're looking for him to kill him. So they're somehow in hiding. And his disciples want to know, well, Jesus, where are we going to eat Passover? Remember, this was a law issue. Jews had to eat Passover in Jerusalem to keep God's law. And the setup for this meal was very complicated. There were all these different cups and plates and lamb, and they needed all these different things. So it's not like it was just any other meal. It's a complicated meal. And so they need to go ahead to prepare. And so they're asking Jesus, where, where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? We have to eat. And also remember this. The text has just told us last week that Judas is now seeking for the perfect time to betray Jesus to deliver him over to the Pharisees. So because of this, Jesus can't just tell his disciples where they're going to eat together. Otherwise, Judas would just run out and tell the Pharisees and they would show up and arrest him before he could even eat with his disciples. So Jesus has to figure out a way to tell the disciples where they're going to eat without letting Judas in on that. And that's exactly what he does. See, Jesus has very specific reasons he has to eat Passover with his disciples this night. He can't afford anyone breaking in and ruining it. In fact, his entire messianic mission depends on this meal on this night. If Jesus fails this night to establish the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, he fails his messianic mission and the church will not be founded. Think about how much is riding on this one meal. Well, obviously Jesus knows this and so he has prearranged everything. The text doesn't tell us, but one of these days when he was in Jerusalem, he must have arranged with this mysterious master of the house for a room to eat in. I mean, this is like a scene straight out of a spy movie. There are secret signs and passwords. The first secret sign is the man carrying water, a jar of water. Now, with our 21st century minds and eyes, we don't understand why this would have been significant, but in the Jewish culture at the time, Men did not carry jars of water. That was considered women's work. If men ever carried water, they carried it in skins. Now, I don't know why they had that difference, but that's just how they did it. And so to see a man carrying a jar of water in the city would have been very recognizable. This man is obviously looking for them to meet with them. So he says, go into the city, find the man carrying the jar of water, and he'll take you where you need to go. 
It's obviously a prearranged sign and one that would have been easily spotted. Because Jesus did things this way, Jesus is the only one still who knows where they will eat. He gives Judas no chance to betray him as he has not mentioned where they actually will be going. Even though they are trying to kill him, he is beating them at their own game. He will let them arrest him only when he knows it's the right time. It's simply amazing. He must have the Passover meal with his disciples because he must institute the Lord's Supper on this very night. And what I want you to take from this part of our passage is simple. Jesus instituted what we are about to celebrate here. Our Lord wanted this to be a part of his church forever. The Lord's Supper is a gift directly from Jesus to us, to you, his children. This is not some nice church tradition that a bunch of guys came up with later on. Our Lord himself intentionally gave us this celebration. When we take part in it, we're joining in a celebration that the people of God have been participating in for thousands of years. If we understand this truth, it must breathe new life into the way we look at the supper every first Sunday. It's an ancient tradition instituted by the Son of God himself on our behalf. Let us treat it with due reverence and awe. And this brings us to the next part of our passage. One of the most intense, tension-filled moments, I think, in all of the history of the entire world. Jesus is going to tell his disciples that he knows that one of them will betray him and then pronounce judgment on him. And admittedly, uh, I'm going to kind of go past this part. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but it is important for us to consider. So let's look at the text as we look at Mark 14, 17 through 21. It says this, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to one another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. These are strong words. So get this picture. They're now eating Passover together. And Passover was a very long meal. It was not, that's why they're reclining. It's not a short thing. It's an all-night thing. So as they're sharing this meal together, a very intimate meal. Remember, especially in Jewish culture, sharing a meal was a sign of unity and trust. That's why the Pharisees are continually accusing Jesus of, you eat with sinners. To us, we're kind of like, okay. But to them, that was, sharing a meal with someone was, was identifying with them. And so they're sharing this meal. Jesus calls Judas out. Jesus lets Judas know that he knows exactly what he's up to. And not only that, but Jesus pronounces judgment on Judas for his actions. He tells Judas that it would have been better for him if he had not been born. I don't know if there's any more terrifying words you could hear from the Son of God. But Jesus gives the reason why it would have been better for him if he were never been born. Look at what he says. He says, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm following God's explicit plan for my life as the Messiah, the Son of Man. But see, in betraying, Judas, in betraying Jesus, Judas is doing the exact opposite. He is breaking God's law and he is chasing after money, thereby rejecting Jesus as the Son of God. But you might be thinking this, and this is the natural question that comes up in this text, is 
Well, isn't Judas's actions a part of God's plan as well? So how is it his fault? And the answer is, of course, Judas's actions are a part of God's plan, but in a much different way. God is so powerful, so wise, and so good that he can use even the evil actions that men and women choose for his own glory and to accomplish his own great purposes. This means that Judas's betrayal is evil and will be treated as evil, but God will ultimately use it for his greatest glory. But does this remove the responsibility for the sin from Judas? Not at all, says Jesus. In fact, he says it would have been better for him if he were never born. The more knowledge you have of Jesus, you see, the more condemnation you receive for rejecting him. Friends, I pray that you would trust in Jesus today. Do not reject him. Let it never be said of you. It would have been better for them if they had not been born. This point, the Gospel of John tells us that Judas leaves the room and goes to betray Jesus to the Pharisees. For whatever reason, Mark leaves that detail out. But the group of disciples has now been purged of their betrayer. And so now we're going to spend the rest of our time focusing on this last paragraph of the text. See, this is the climax of the entire night. Here is where Jesus is going to officially declare that the traditional celebration of Passover is coming to an end and the celebration of the Lord's Supper has now arrived. So we've seen that the Lord's Supper was began by Jesus directly. It was instituted by him. And we have seen that Judas has rejected Jesus and betrayed Jesus and brought judgment and condemnation upon himself. Now let's continue to read the rest of our text this morning and then we're going to just dig through it and mine all the riches that God has for us within this text. Would you continue with me in Mark 14, 22 through 25? It says this, And as they were eating, he, Jesus, took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the instituting of the Lord's Supper. Now, to help us structure our thinking here, I want to give you a statement. If you remember one thing this morning, let it be this statement. This is my summary of what I believe everything that God has for us from this passage this morning. And here it is. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace given to us by Messiah Jesus in which we celebrate and remember that we have been bought out of slavery by the blood of Jesus for eternal fellowship with him. We celebrate this with sorrow and joy. Let me repeat that. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace given to us by Messiah Jesus in which we celebrate and remember that we have been bought out of slavery by the blood of Jesus for eternal fellowship with him. We celebrate this with sorrow and joy. Now let's kind of take that apart and we'll find out where where I pull that from in the text. This is the meaning of what we do here every first Sunday. So let's break it down. The first point is this. The Lord's Supper is a time to celebrate and remember that we have been bought out of slavery. You may have already picked up on this, but by instituting the Lord's Supper in the way he does and on the night he does and with the meal he does, Jesus is essentially taking the Jewish feast of Passover and giving it new meaning. He's essentially saying to all the Jews, this feast is now at an end and I bring the fulfillment of what it was pointing to. 
some of you might know, but the Passover celebration was a time when Jews celebrated the fact that they had been brought out of slavery and into freedom by God himself. This is what is called the Exodus out of Egypt. Now, the Exodus is literally the most important and talked about event in the entire Old Testament. If you've read through the Old Testament, you'll know that in every book of the Old Testament, the Exodus comes up somehow. They're constantly pointing back to the Exodus and saying, God is faithful, God is faithful. Remember the Exodus? God is faithful. Well, the cross and resurrection are the most important and talked about events in the entire New Testament. And so the connection is very natural. It's all flowing towards Jesus. Jesus is essentially declaring through this meal that he is about to lead his people out of slavery. Once again, yet this time, instead of physical slavery, it is out of spiritual slavery. You see, our friends, in our natural human state, without Christ, we're enslaved. Without Christ, we are enslaved to sin and death. We cannot escape sin and we can't escape death. Without Christ, we are under the righteous judgment of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that without Christ, we are dead in our sin. He writes in Romans that we're enslaved to our sins and desires. Without Christ, we are without hope. But the opposite is also true, and that's what we see in the Lord's Supper. If you are in Christ, if you are trusting in him, you are no longer a slave. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You're no longer enslaved to death. Both sin and death have lost their ability to hold you or defeat you because of Christ. That's the meaning of the supper. And it's all because of Christ. It's all because of Jesus and his work. It is only by his work that we are freed. Friend, would you hear me today and be encouraged by this? If you are trusting in him today, it is because he saw you enslaved to sin and death and chose to free you. If you are trusting in him today, I assure you it is not by accident nor coincidence. If you love him today, it is because he loved you first. You had no ability to love him, and yet he loved you anyway, purely out of the goodness of his character. And brothers and sisters, as we celebrate this morning, meditate on these truths. We remember and celebrate that Jesus has bought us out of slavery to sin and death. But what was the price? What did it cost him? How much was he willing to pay to buy us, his people? That brings us to our second point. The Lord's Supper is a time to celebrate and remember that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Look at verse 22. Taking the bread, he says, this is my body. And taking the cup, he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Do you remember what blood has to do with the, the Passover? Remember on the night of the last plague in Egypt, the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt, God told the Israelites that if they would slaughter a spotless lamb and spread its blood on their doorposts, they would be spared from judgment. Listen to the words of Exodus 12, 11 through 13. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, the lamb was slain to protect the Israelites from the judgment of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is teaching us in this passage, through this ceremony, that he is our Passover lamb. 
His innocent blood will be spilled for the salvation of his people to satisfy the wrath of our holy and good God. Instead of let us suffer the judgment we so rightly deserve, he will suffer in our place. His life for ours, this is the price he was willing to pay for our salvation. Now the Apostle Paul makes this really clear in 1 Corinthians 5-7 when he writes, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Through his own blood, Christ establishes for us a new way to relate to God, no longer under law, but under Christ himself. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news that when Jesus came on the scene in Mark 1.14 and said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the good news he's talking about. This is the greatest news there could ever be. And it doesn't even stop there. Because the blood that was poured out was the blood of our perfect Savior, Jesus, his blood is infinitely powerful to cover us, to cover our sins His blood soaks up every ounce of wrath that God had so rightly put upon us. Listen to the words of John Owen, the famous Puritan this morning, and be encouraged. He writes this, Look, whatever the justice of God, the law of God, whatever the threatening of God did require to be inflicted as punishment for our sin, Christ underwent it all. Listen to that again. He says, Look, whatever the justice of God, The law of God, whatever the threatening of God did require to be inflicted as punishment for sin, Christ underwent it all. Christ underwent it all. This is what this means. If you are in Christ, there is no more wrath for you to bear, for you to face. None. It is finished. That's what those words mean. It is finished. On the cross, Christ bore the wrath of Almighty God for his people. Those who are in him now have complete peace and reconciliation with God. That is the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's a continual reminder, a physical and spiritual reminder, that those who are in Christ no longer face condemnation, no longer face the wrath of God. Christian, would you take this to heart this morning? If you are his, he poured out his perfect blood for you. Rest in him, hope in him, and live in him. My friends, does he not deserve all of our hearts and all of our worship? How can we not trust him with our whole lives? He who gave everything for us that we might be his for all eternity. Praise his glorious name this morning. Let us worship and bow down for he is good and his love endures forever. And so in the Lord's Supper, we celebrate this. We celebrate that Christ has set us free from slavery that he has purchased us from slavery, and that he has bought us with his own blood. But that's all in the past, right? What about the future? Does the Lord's Supper speak at all to the future? Well, to answer that question brings us to our third point. The Lord's Supper is a time to celebrate and remember that we have been bought for eternal fellowship with him. We've been bought for eternal fellowship with him. Look at verse 25. Jesus says this, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is a glorious verse. I'm so excited for this. Brothers and sisters, look at this. There is a party coming. There is a feast coming. The Lord's Supper fulfilled the Old Testament sign of the Passover. Yes, 
But like the Passover eventually gave way to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper also will give way to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lord's Supper, although amazing and holy and good, is temporary. It's merely a foreshadowing, a preview of that day when all things will be made new by God. When in the new heavens and the new earth, we will feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Yes, brothers and sisters, we are on our way to a party. The Lord's Supper reminds us of that. We will one day eat and drink with Jesus and each other for all eternity. Listen to the words of Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Indeed, a feast of the redeemed and reconciled is coming. You see, this is why the Lord's Supper is for believers only. If you reject Christ and you participate in the Lord's Supper, you mock him. You mock and reject all that has been said this morning. If you are here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ as your Savior and not submitting to him as Lord, please do not take of the elements. Do not participate. The Apostle Paul says that we drink judgments on ourselves if we do this. But if you are here and you reject Christ and his message, I would urge you instead to bow the knee to him today. Instead of your rebellion, submit to him as Lord. Would you acknowledge him as Lord and King today? And if you would do that, then participate with us as a brother and sister. Well, brothers and sisters, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, let me say again, we celebrate and remember that we have been bought out of slavery by the blood of Jesus for eternal fellowship with him. And so now I want to move a little bit to how do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? What should be our demeanor? What should be the state of our heart when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Is it supposed to be solemn or is it supposed to be joyful? It's actually quite simple. And I would sum it up like this. The Lord's Supper is to be celebrated in sorrow and joy. Sorrow and joy. The Lord's Supper is a time of sorrow because we mourn that our sin cost Jesus his life. And it's a time of joy where we rejoice that Christ would die for the sins of people like us. The Puritan Thomas Doolittle put it quite elegantly, I think, when he wrote this. Mourn that your sin put Christ to death and rejoice that Christ would die for your sins. Mourn that your sin put Christ to death and rejoice that Christ would die for your sins. And so let me say this also. When we talk about what does it mean to take of the Lord's Supper unworthily, I think sometimes we get a little confused about what that means. We're so tempted towards legalism. We're so tempted to examine ourselves and just, oh, we're so horrible and I better not take of it. But that's missing the point. To take of the Lord's Supper unworthily is to take of the Lord's Supper with an unrepentant heart. To say, I choose sin instead of Jesus. 
That's what it means to take it unworthily. It's not unworthy to take the Lord's sin if we're just bogged down by sin, but we're, we're fighting it and we're repenting. We're fighting it. That's not what it means. And I think so often, and, and I see this in my own life, it can become such a ritual where it's just the opportunity every month to just feel really guilty. And that is never what it was meant to be. We can mourn our sin, absolutely. But we must immediately then turn to rejoicing for a Savior who paid the price for all of our sins. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling the weight of your sin, if you're struggling with sin, if you're fighting, if you're feeling guilty, and yet you're repenting, you're saying, I don't want this sin, I want Jesus, but it's heavy on me, then I would encourage you, that is exactly what this time is for. It's a time to celebrate the price that Jesus paid to do away with that sin forever, forever nailing our debt of sin to the cross, as Paul writes in Colossians. But again, if you're here this morning and you say, no, I choose sin over Jesus, that is what it means to take unworthily, and that is when you will drink judgment on yourself. So I urge you to withhold or to bow the knee to Jesus today and come into the fold, come into the family. And so, brothers and sisters, as we enter into the celebration of the Lord's Supper, I would ask you to take stock of your life. Examine your hearts and lives for sin and repent. Mourn that your sin is what cost Jesus his life, but don't stay there. As you take the elements, rejoice that Jesus would joyfully endure God's wrath in our place. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven. Rejoice that Jesus Christ is Lord and that the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. Rejoice that Jesus bought us out of slavery with his own blood that we might enjoy eternal fellowship with him. And I would simply close with a quote. It's a song, you might know it, called All Creatures of Our God and King, but a group took in and kind of reworked some of the verses, and I love these lyrics. Here's what it says. All the redeemed washed by his blood come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Lord, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Lord, while we were enemies of you and your kingdom, you saw fit out of the goodness of your own heart, out of the love that you wanted to demonstrate for us, to purchase us by the blood of your own son, killing him on the cross and raising him again three days after. Father, help us to understand this more deeply this morning. Father, would you, through your spirit, impart grace, the grace of understanding this morning, that we may know how high, how wide, and how deep your love is for us. Father, I pray over anyone here today who is feeling the weight of sin, who is just burdened by their struggles, by their iniquities, by their transgressions. Father, I pray that you would give them the grace to repent. Father, strengthen their hearts. Father, encourage their hearts with your love through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, would you move amongst us? Lord, this is your table. 
Truly, you are the one who has prepared this feast for us. You are the one who ministers to us through the supper. Father, I pray that you would minister to us this morning. Would you administer your grace to us through the elements of juice and bread, Father? Such simple physical things, Lord. Would you help us to understand the symbolism behind it? Lord, would we meditate and consider the body and blood of your Son, the blood of the covenant, poured out for us, God? Would we repent and would we rejoice in who you are, that you are a God who not only comes to save us, but who prepares a bountiful feast for us, who will dwell with us for eternity. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory for all of this. And to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless in the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be dominion and glory and majesty and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.